I ask you if you could please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as we look at our passage for this morning. Continue our study of Acts. And uh, this morning I'll be preaching from Acts 4, 1 to 23, but, or, yeah, preaching from 4, 1 to 22, rather, but um, really it's all part of one passage. It goes all the way down to verse 31, so I'll read the whole thing. Um, so you get a sense of that, but we'll look at, at verses, um, at verses uh, 23 to 31 next week. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Now as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What should we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether... It is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, for because of the people, for they are all praising God for what had happened, for the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, through who uh, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, 
while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of our Lord. May he add its truths to our hearts and use this for the building of his church and for the glory of his name. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you for your holy word. We praise you that in your word we see the testimony of Jesus Christ. Lord, as the apostles bore witness of Jesus, as we see in the word through the power of your Holy Spirit, you empowered them to bear witness for Jesus. Help us, I pray, to through the power of the same Holy Spirit to also bear witness of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to do so in word and in deed, no matter what opposition comes against us. Because we recognize that the opposition against us is really and ultimately against you. And you have defeated every enemy. You have defeated our enemies through your gospel. The same gospel which we proclaim. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Earlier in the service we prayed for Robert Okia and Wilberforce Matenga who were brutally attacked in Uganda after preaching the gospel in a predominantly Muslim village where eight Muslims came to faith in Jesus Christ. As I explained, when they entered the next village, they were surrounded with, with, by Muslim men who, who shouted chants of, of Allah Akbar as they beat them with sticks and stabbed them with knives and dumped them on the edge of a swamp. These men suffered stab wounds and dislocated limbs and, and terrible bruising. But, but thankfully, a, a local herdsman heard their cries for help and called the authorities who then brought them to a, a, a local clinic where they, where they got, got good treatment. Now, these brothers appealed to Christians, Christians like you and me, for prayer. But, but as I talked about, what, what did these men request that we pray for? Did they, did they pray for vengeance on their enemies? No. They, they didn't even ask for healing for the wounds. But Wilberforce said, and I quote, We need your prayers all the time because when we recover, we have to continue with the message no matter the persecution which we have gone through. So what did these men ask us to pray for? For faithfulness for boldness, for boldness to proclaim Christ in spite of opposition. So we have, we have to ask, well, what would, what would enable Robert, a, a 43-year-old, sorry, 53-year-old father of six, or Wilberforce, a 48-year-old father of two, what would, what would motivate these men to put their lives in jeopardy, to continue to to proclaim Christ? What would motivate them and what would empower them to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ? Well, it's not a what. It's a who. It's a who. The Holy Spirit motivated and empowered these men to proclaim Christ among their Muslim neighbors. And brothers and sisters, that same Holy Spirit indwells you and me. Are we being faithful to proclaim Christ among our neighbors? You will face opposition. Thankfully, not the kind of opposition that Robert and Wilberforce faced, at least not yet, 
but opposition nonetheless. You might see opposition, but you might also see people respond with repentance and faith. The Word of God necessitates a response, positive or negative. There is no middle ground. Respond to Jesus Christ in faith. The only alternative is to reject Him outright. In the coming weeks, we're going to see the opposition to Jesus Christ in the book of Acts. Here in Acts 4, we see that in the, the, the newborn church, that there has been great growth, but on the heels of that, there's been, there will be great opposition. The Lord has crushed the serpent's head when he died on the cross and rose again, but the serpent still bites. Not content to bruise the heel of the Lord Jesus, he and his seed are still fighting against Christ and his church. The serpent's opposition will take the form, as we see this morning, of concerted attacks from wicked men in positions of power. In the coming weeks, the opposition will come from within, from, from hypocritical men and women, and from schism. But despite the opposition, the church will continue to grow. The kingdom of God will continue to advance through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of Christians as he empowers them to bear witness for Christ. So this morning, we're going to see that the first persecution of the young church there will be opposition to Christ and his people. However, the Holy Spirit provides boldness in the face of adversity. There are three main points in this passage. We will deal with the first two this week and the third point next week, Lord willing. Verses 1 to 12, we see the proclamation of Christ. Verses 13 to 22, we see rejection of Christ. And then next week, Lord willing, in verses 23 to 31, supplication to Christ. So first of all, proclamation of Christ, verses 1 to 12. As Acts 4 begins, Peter is still preaching the sermon that he began when the crowd gathered after the Lord Jesus had empowered him to heal the man who was born crippled. Through the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus has empowered Peter then to bear witness of Christ. And so now here at the beginning of chapter 4, as as Peter and, and presumably John are speaking, the authorities arrived. We see it's the, the priests and the, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, and, and they cut off the sermon before it's finished. That they're very angry that these apostles were teaching and proclaiming in the name of Jesus the resurrection from the dead. This is going to be a common occurrence in Acts. A sermon will be interrupted, and, and most often the sermon will be interrupted because of opposition to the message. Now, we think about, about these men who are gathered, and we think about the, the captain of, of the guard and, and the priests and the, and the Sadducees. We, we've met these, these men before, right? In Luke's gospel account, remember that the Sadducees were the, were the power brokers, they had cozied up to the Romans in order to maintain their authority. They, they, were, they were theological liberals denying the resurrection, denying God's activity in the world. And they were not focused on the law of God. The priests were those who performed duties in the temple worship. And the captain of the temple was for also from the high priestly family. He was really second in charge to the high priest. So these were, these were powerful men. And they were Sadducees. They were Sadducees. 
The Pharisees, who would love to charge against Jesus, we saw in Luke's gospel account, at least for now, take, take somewhat of a, of a back seat, the persecution of the church. It's going to change quickly. But at this point, it's the Sadducees who are leading the charge. And the reason is obvious. As those who denied the resurrection, as those who denied life after death, they believe that once you're dead, that's it. They didn't want anyone preaching about the resurrection, especially about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who they had just executed two months prior. They hated the preaching that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And they hated the fact that there is a resurrection from the dead for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Any evidence of of resurrection, any resurrection, would, would prove the lie to their whole theological system. But this was about power. This was a battle for the hearts and minds of the people. And so they arrested them. Since it was already evening and they they couldn't hold a trial until daybreak, they they locked Peter and John up overnight. So this was Peter and John's first night in a prison cell for the name of Jesus Christ, the first of many. But rejection of the authorities wasn't the only response to the name of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Luke here provides a stark contrast by telling us that many of those who heard the word believed. And that the number of, specifically of men here, so it would be many more if you include women and children, that the number of men in the church had swelled to 5,000. Now again, if you include women and children, this is, a, this is a massive growth when you compare it to the original 120 disciples that were in, in the house when they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We need to pray for a revival. We need to pray for that kind of revival in our day and age. But the 5,000 here is presented almost as a footnote. There's not much focus on it. The focus here is on the opposition of the Jewish leadership. And the next day, they launch an organized attack. Now the rulers and the elders and the scribes came together after the, to come after the apostles. And we've met these men before. Luke here is speaking of the, the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish ruling council, the same men who had joined together to challenge and to crucify Jesus Christ. The, the rulers and the elders, including the high priest and his family, were Sadducees. The scribes were Pharisees. So here we have men who were at, at odds with each other theologically and socially coming, coming together to confront the followers of Jesus, much as they had come together to, to confront Jesus himself. This was a power struggle of the Jewish leadership against the apostles, but their struggle was really against Jesus himself. Yet for Jesus, complete and utter victory was never in doubt. The men of the Sanhedrin sat in a, in a semicircle with the accused apostles facing them and asked, by what power or by what name did you do this? Well, Peter's about to show them by what power and by what authority he did this. Verses 8 to 10. Then Peter, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So by what power and authority? He did this by the power and authority of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now Peter had already been indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit now filled Peter, strengthening him to bear witness of Jesus Christ. Now notice how Peter addresses them. He's he's respectful in his tone, but he's quite clear in his proclamation of Christ and his condemnation of the Jewish leadership. First, notice the wisdom with with Peter's words. These men were were essentially saying, we've not authorized this, referring to the preaching of Christ. But but it seems here that, that Peter took advantage of their vague pronoun reference. They didn't specify what they meant by the word this. So Peter responded as if they were talking about the healing. He's he's. He's answering a different question than the one that they're asking. It's very clear that they were talking about about his preaching. Look back at verse 2. They're greatly annoyed at the teaching. And down in verse 18, they charge them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus Christ. So Peter here is showing the kind of wisdom that, that Jesus had shown repeatedly in his responses to the Sanhedrin before his crucifixion. Peter is now, is now shifting and turning the tables. He's saying that, that if you're coming against the name of Jesus, you're speaking against the sign of the healing. And this gives Peter the opportunity to preach Jesus yet again. And so this is now Peter's third sermon, and it's to the entire Sanhedrin. Peter's doing what got him into trouble in the first place, preaching the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus had explicitly warned the disciples that they would be brought before rulers and authorities and that the Holy Spirit would teach them what to say, Luke 12, 11 and 12. And that this would be their opportunity to bear witness for he would give them the wisdom that none of their adversaries would be able to withstand or contradict, Luke 21, 12 to 15. And so Peter, again, answering a different question than the one that they're asking, tells them that the man was healed by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that was the main point of his sermon in Acts in Acts 3. Just let's turn back there for a moment to Acts 3, verses 13 to 15. God glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied, the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life who God raised from the dead. And verse 16, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So now he proclaims it again, loud and clear. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Peter's saying again that the power and the authority to heal this man came by the name of Jesus Christ. Peter's proclaiming who Jesus is and is revealing his work, his continuing work. This morning during Sunday school, Sinclair Ferguson was, was teaching from 
from John 14 and 15 from the Upper Room Discourse. And in, and in, this, in this passage, um, Jesus had told the disciples that they would, that, that he, so he told the disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit who he said would bear witness about me and you also will bear witness about me. And so now in the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter bears witness about Jesus. Jesus is at work in Peter through the Holy Spirit to enable him to bear witness about Jesus. And so Peter doubles down, condemning these men of the Sanhedrin for their guilt. He says, you crucified him, but God resurrected him. And so Peter now marshals Psalm 118, verse 22, as evidence against them. Jesus had quoted the same psalm when the same men had challenged him in Luke 20, 14. Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. The Jewish authorities had rejected Jesus, but God's authority had placed Jesus in the preeminent position. You know, it's one thing to, to stand behind a pulpit and preach. But it's quite another to stand before a, a person or, or a group of people and say, I'm talking about you. Especially when that person or persons have the ability to make life very difficult for you. And that was certainly the case with Peter. Peter had seen what these men had done to Jesus. Peter is still bold to proclaim Jesus. And this is all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. But Peter isn't done. Verse 12. And there's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the, the, the climax of Peter's third sermon. As Ben Witherington explains, salvation here is elsewhere, has spiritual, physical, and social dimensions as the very presence of the healed man in the, San, in the Sanhedrin session demonstrates. The, the primary meaning of salvation is detachment from the world of unbelief and disobedience and attachment to the people of God. As I explained last week, although the healed man was physically, saved, physically healed, this is a, a living parable. The healing points to spiritual healing, that he is spiritually healed, that he is spiritually saved. I like what it says in the, the notes of the Reformation Study Bible. Just as the name of Jesus had been the only hope for physical healing of the man crippled from birth, so also the name of Jesus is the only hope for the spiritual healing of mankind. Friends, there is salvation in no other name. No other name. Peter is here preaching the exclusivity of Christ, but also the confidence that comes from faith in Christ. The implication is that these men, these religious Jews, must turn to Jesus and be saved, and so must you. So must you. Turn to Jesus and be saved. There is nowhere else to go. There is nothing else you can do but place your faith in Him. 
Again, as we talked to the, uh, with the kids, tomorrow's Reformation Day. Remember the five souls of the Reformation. In addition to Scripture alone as our only authority, we, we know that salvation is by grace alone, through faith in, alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. That's like the, the battle cry of the Reformation. Do you have faith in Christ alone? Or are you like the men of the Sanhedrin, rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, there is no other option. Faith in Jesus or rejection of Jesus. So now with verses 13 to 22, we see their rejection of Jesus. When the men of the Sanhedrin saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men and they were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now they're astonished but not by the the power in the name of Jesus Christ to heal the man and not by the the power of the name of Jesus Christ to save. Although they would not admit it, they were astonished at the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. They knew that they had authority to throw Peter and John into prison. They'd just done so. And they knew that Peter and John knew it. But nonetheless, Peter and John spoke boldly in the name of Christ. They spoke boldly like Christ. These men of the Sanhedrin were no doubt still smarting from losing their debates with Jesus, and this was deja vu. These men were without training. They were ordinary men. They hadn't studied the finer points of the Torah. They hadn't been trained in rhetoric. Yet here they were, speaking with wisdom and eloquence, silencing the religious authorities, no matter the consequence, just as Jesus had done. I wonder, in your daily interactions, do people recognize that you have been with Jesus? And how would they recognize that? People will recognize that you have been with Jesus when you respond like Jesus. I'll give you a little tip. It's most often when you respond in a way that's the opposite of how you would normally respond in yourself. My mentor used to, used to say that God often requires of you what you are not. That God often requires of you what you are not. Are you self-confident? Well, others will see times that Jesus will empower you to be meek and humble. Are you naturally fumbling? You'll see times, and others will see times, that Jesus will give you eloquence. Are you naturally timid? Then others will see times that you will be as bold as a lion. Jesus helps you to respond in a way that you would not normally respond. And different circumstances require different responses. And God will give you the wisdom and the ability to respond as he would have you respond. And even if others reject what you're saying, and even if others reject Jesus they might just recognize that you have been with Jesus. When he does it in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, he gets the glory. Now the men of the Sanhedrin would have been seething. But seeing the healed man standing beside Peter, they were silenced. There was nothing they could say. So they commanded Peter and John to leave the council, and then they conferred among themselves, saying, what should we do with these men? 
for the notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They recognized that the man had been healed. They recognized even that it was a notable sign. But they also recognized that the people recognized it as a notable sign, and they were afraid. They were afraid that Christianity would spread, and that would be a serious blow to their power and position. They were not afraid of God. They were afraid of the people. These men who claimed to wield all the authority were now slaves to public opinion. And so in the hardness of their hearts, they willfully denied Christ and tried to silence the apostles. They didn't want them to mention the name of Jesus. They, they, they might as well have tried to stop the sun from shining. as to try to stop the glory of the Son of God from shining. But they had to try. So they summoned Peter and John and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. They, they wanted to intimidate them into silence and to prevent people from following Jesus. Now just stop and think about this. These men were the religious authorities. They were supposed to recognize the Messiah, but they rejected the Messiah. They were supposed to point people to God, but they pointed people away from God. I remember one time when, when I had someone who was an authority in my life try to command me not to tell anyone about Jesus, tell, to tell somebody else about Jesus Christ. Now the consequences wouldn't have been like those that were, were faced by the apostles, but they could have been severe. But by God's grace, I humbly replied that, that I'm sorry you feel that way, but I have no choice. I have no choice. And the Lord gave me the opportunity to proclaim Christ. And the Lord empowered me to proclaim Christ to the person that I've been commanded not to proclaim Christ to. Now, maybe you have faced somebody commanding you not to tell somebody else about Jesus. And maybe if you hadn't, you might experience that in the future. Well, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Maybe it won't be somebody who's going to, going to throw you into prison or worse, but maybe they'll threaten you with losing your job. Maybe they'll threaten you with a loss of relationship or some other privation. How will you respond? Again, will you try to stand your own strength? If you have stood firm when you've been challenged, how did you do it? Were you tougher than other people? Were, were, were you more courageous? Friends, if you stood by, by any measure that matters, it was only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter, we know, was bold at times. But before being indwelt with the Holy Spirit, he wilted like lettuce on a hot dashboard. I don't know why you'd put lettuce on a hot dashboard, but it doesn't go well for the lettuce. And we're often like that too. But let's watch how Peter responds now that he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. In this case, it's Peter and John, verses, verse 19. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. 
for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, or in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now, now we have heard a lot about spheres of sovereignty over the last couple of years. I won't rehash it all now, but the, the scriptures refer to the state as God's ordained servant for the welfare of society under God's common grace to maintain law and order. The church has authority over spiritual matters, and the head of the home has authority over the family. Now, there, there are spheres of sovereignty, but there is overlap over the spheres of sovereignty. And sometimes the authority of one sphere intersects with that of another. We must seek to honor and obey the authorities as far as we are able. But if the state forbids what God commands, or commands what God forbids, we have the duty to disobey. 1 Timothy 2.17 tells us, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, but in order of importance, first it's fear God, then love the brotherhood, then honor the emperor, and then honor everyone. And, and there, there's at times there's going to be, seem to be competing interests in those four things, and, and we need God's wisdom from his word in order to determine how we're going to respond ethically and biblically in each circumstance that arises. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to stand firm no matter what. Now, this, this situation, it was, there, there was no question at all. Their responsibilities were abundantly clear. The authorities here were, were both, they were a mix of both state and religious authorities. But these men were clearly going against the word of God. They were clearly rejecting Christ, so Peter and John knew what they must do. There's no question what they must do. They'll find themselves before the Sanhedrin again soon enough for their decision to reject this command. In chapter 5, we'll find them again in prison. Just the next chapter for this, for breaking this very command. They've been told explicitly by the Lord Jesus that they would bear witness of him Brothers and sisters, so have we. No one who has truly met Jesus, no one who has truly been changed by Jesus and is indwelt by the Holy Spirit can remain silent about Jesus and what he's done. Not that we won't fail sometimes. Peter will fail in Galatians before the Judaizers. But life, his life was in, and our lives are increasingly characterized by the proclamation of Jesus Christ in word and in deed. Brothers and sisters, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness for Jesus Christ. Not in our own strength, for that would amount to nothing, but in the strength that God provides for the glory of God. So verse 21, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for they were all praising God for what had happened. All the men of Sanhedrin could do was threaten them. Now they will have more authority to throw them in prison, but the reality is that they could not do anything that the Lord did not allow. These men of Sanhedrin, again, did not fear God, but they feared the people. As we often find, that the, the, the establishment, the religious 
It is the religious leaders. It's the, the, the religious elites, I guess you, you could say, who reject God. But Christianity is, is a grassroots movement. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in the people. Christianity is, is not, we, we're not the movers, movers and shakers of the world. We, we are the, the nobodies of the world. We're the off-scouring of the world. And if we seek power and authority, if we seek popularity with the world, we will become like the world. And we will be like the men of the Sanhedrin who were afraid of, of popular opinion and tried to silence the proclamation of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, may we never be like that. May we seek by God's grace to be countercultural in the power of the Holy Spirit to stand up for Jesus Christ. Not to be consumed with politics and, and different movements of society, but to, but to stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ, whatever the cost. Again, tomorrow is Reformation Day. The, the day that, that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the, the castle door at, in Wittenberg. And he did so at the, the risk of losing his life, of being burned at the stake. And when he was brought before the council, uh, the, the Diet of Worms, he said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. To sin against conscience is neither right nor, state, nor safe. So by God's grace, here I stand. Here I stand. He stood on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who will listen and even to those who will not? From a human perspective, we have a great deal to be afraid of. But praise God, by God's grace, we don't look at things from a human perspective, but from a spiritually perspective. And so we can say with Martin Luther in his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. We have the same Holy Spirit as Martin Luther. We have the same Holy Spirit as Robert Okia and Wilberforce Matenga. We have the same Holy Spirit as Peter and John. We have the same Holy Spirit as Jesus Christ. He's given us His Spirit to bear witness of Him for His glory and for the building of His church. May we, by God's grace and the power of His Spirit, stand firm on the truths of the gospel, not fearing man, but having a holy fear of God who sent his son to live for us and to die for us. He rose again on the third day so we can be confident that one day, whatever man does to us, we too will rise again one day and go to be with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior forever. Let's pray together. Our great and glorious God, we praise you for the gospel. Lord, the only gospel, the only good news that saves is only through the name of Jesus Christ. We praise you that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you sent someone to proclaim the gospel to us. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, you regenerated our hearts. You made us alive so that we would repent and believe the gospel, that we would put our faith in Jesus Christ and in his name. 
Help us, I pray, through the power of the same Holy Spirit to proclaim the name of Jesus. That through us, through our little church, you would build your kingdom and your name would be glorified. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.